warned John that this is about as excited as you lot get. If you get a raised eyebrow, that's practically, practically revival, revival in Scotland. So. <laughs> so we, why don't we continue our worship? We're going to read uh, the Bible together. You can't come to a, a conference on Christian worship and not have a Bible, right? And not read the Bible. So we're going to turn to Ephesians chapter 3. I just want to focus on one particular verse this morning, but I want us to just, um, just appreciate the wider context of Ephesians 3. So let's just read the word of the Lord together. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. In reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given, to me, given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make known to everyone the administration of this mystery for which ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. This is God's word, amen. Let's just pray. Father, we love you. We're grateful to be here. We're thankful to be here. And we are ever more thankful for uh, your words, Lord. Help us now. Give us understanding. Father, give us insight, uh, Lord. And so work in our hearts that uh, we leave uh, today, Lord, not just in the talks, but every part of this day with uh, a deeper gratitude and love for you, your grace, your love, and for the Lord Jesus Christ, our King, Father. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I, I, I just want to focus on one particular verse, but let's just, I just want to give you a bigger picture before we, we, we get down to brass tacks. We can't hold a, a conference on worship uh, without talking about the importance of the local church. So in Ephesians 5, uh, verse 25, Paul's going to go on to say, isn't he? Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself uh, up for her. He then says in verse 29 of Ephesians 5, uh, for no one hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it and he cherishes it just as Christ does the church. So our, our basic starting point, our basic jumping off point today is simply this, Jesus loves the church. It doesn't matter that we live in a culture in Scotland that dismisses uh, the church uh, as irrelevant, 
That's, that, that doesn't matter. That's not the, the point. Jesus Christ loves his church. You want to leave anything from the talk? Just leave with that, because that's really all I've got to say. But I'll just put a few bows on it for 20 minutes and then you know, make it sound pretty. You know, we read, don't we, in Acts 20, 28, that Jesus built the church with his own lifeblood. And so as we come to worship God today in this place together, let's do so by constantly reminding ourselves that the church is built for Jesus, by Jesus, and on Jesus. We cannot separate the Lord and our worship of him from the local body. There's an increasing number of people in our uh, culture who think that they can live their Christian lives at arm length, arm's length from the body of God's people, but they're sadly mistaken, aren't they? The Bible is clear. The church is important to God. It's so important to God, it's fundamentally central to his purpose for the world. But the church is not only important to God, the Bible teaches us, but it's also important for the world. Ephesians 1, 22 says, And he put all things under his feet, gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In other words, the church is to be the primary witness to Jesus in the world. It's his head. His body. And when Paul writes this letter, he's writing to Jews, he's writing to Greeks, he's writing to the educated, he's writing to the uneducated, he's writing to free people, he's writing to slaves. He's writing to people from all walks of life. Not too dissimilar, I imagine, to the people in this room today. Between us, we come from all ends of the social spectrum. There are some people here who've worked hard all their lives. There are some people here who've never had a job in their life. People here, I imagine the vast majority with some form of higher education or university degree, there are people here who didn't finish high school. We've got people of various nationalities. But the point is this, if we claim to worship King Jesus, then we are all one in him Wherever we live, whether we're from the schemes, whether we're from Morningside, it's irrelevant. Under Christ, we represent King Jesus together. So I just want to dip into the, 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 the verse I want to focus just with this thought in mind. The church is important to God, and the church is important for the world. Okay? Now notice, if you scan the first nine verses of chapter 3, that he mentions the word mystery four times. He mentions it in verse 3, 4, 6, and 9. So I always teach my people, that's a big deal. If you see a word repeated, particularly in a small chunk of Scripture, then God wants to tell us something very important. So important, he feels the need to repeat it. Now Paul here is speaking, and he's, saying, he's talking about this mystery that's been revealed to him, and that he's now passed it on to them. And this mystery, he says to the Ephesians, has been hidden 
uh, from those in ages past. So all those famous Old Testament saints who had walked and talked with God. All those people in the Old Testament who had experienced so much of the Lord's. Not even they had understood, Paul says, this mystery in all its fullness as I have revealed to you, he tells the church. So if we think of the Bible sort of like a, a, a murder mystery, the Old, the Old Testament sets the scene for the big reveal in the New Testament. And what is this mystery that's been kept hidden so long? Well, the answer is in verse 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, sharing together, uh, sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. And so Paul's saying, listen, not only is this mystery known, but it's also, it's also proclaimed to the visible, uh, to the world, sorry, in the form of the church. The mystery is the gospel is now being revealed to people from all nations. That which was only partially understood, he said, is now fully understood in Jesus. Paul uses similar language in Romans chapter 16. Romans 16 verse 26 says, Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. And Paul signs off, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, Paul's job, he says, as a preacher, is to bring this mystery to life. That's what he says in verses 8 and 9. Although I'm least of all the Lord's people, this grace is given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. You know, in the Old Testament, Israel, were, 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 they were kept apart from every nation on the planet. They were to be completely separate and holy from the surrounding world. But, but Paul is saying, Jesus has ushered in this new humanity, the church. That's the mystery revealed. The church is God's plan for the world. That's it. That's the big revelation. He pulls back the curtain. Da-da. Well, some people think that's a bit disappointing. The church is the mystery. Big deal. Why, why is he gone, the Lord, to all this trouble? What's the point of this mysterious church made up of people from all kinds of places and backgrounds? And that's where verse 10 jumps in. And that's the verse I want us to drill down on. Why has God gone to all this trouble to bring about the church of Jesus Christ? Well, look what Paul says. I love this verse. This verse is cheeky times 10. He says, his intent was... But now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Paul says, listen, it's through the church that God wants to make known now, now, his manifold wisdom. Let me try and illustrate it a little bit. Imagine a guy walking past a building site. It's not too hard to imagine a building site in the center of this city, is it? Place is a building site. Anyway, a guy's walking past a building site and he sees some fellas working and he thinks to himself, I wonder what these dudes are building. And so he stops and he asks one of the, the guys on the site, one of the builders, he says, hey, 
hey up, pal. He's obviously from Yorkshire. Hey up, pal. Uh, what's happening here? What's going on in this? What's, what, what's been built? And the guy goes, I don't know, mate. I'm just a brickie. I just do what I'm told. So he sees another fella. He says, what's going on? What, do you know what's being built here? The guy goes, listen, mate, no idea. I'm just a laborer. I just do what the brickie tells me. So that's the third guy. He sees a guy that looks important. He's got, you know, a hat on and a little foreman badge. And he says, listen, pal, do you know what's happening here? Because nobody seems to know. And the foreman says, yeah, we're building a massive supermarket, a multi-story car park, all the business. And so here were three men working on the same project, working on the same site, doing similar jobs, all contributing to the bigger picture, but only one of them understood what was truly going on. Only one of them saw past the mess or the, the focus of his particular job and function to see, look up and see the bigger picture. And, and this is what Paul is doing in Ephesians 3. He's trying to get them to lift their eyes off just their little church in Ephesus, their little issues, their little problems. Just look up a bit because there's a bigger picture going on here. There's a bigger, grander picture being painted by the God of the universe. And many people, many of our people, we know this, probably look at our church or our local churches as a bit of a distraction in their lives. People think of it as church is something you come to on a Sunday. If you're dead spiritual, maybe you have a midweek prayer meeting or a life group. And you call it the attic or something weird. And, you know. But other than that, you know, that's generally that. I go about my business during the week. I crack out to church a couple of times in the week. Throw a few quid in the kitty. Amen. And, then the, and, and let's be honest... Some of our churches are a bit naff as well, aren't they? I mean, how do you mean you've got a naff church? Everybody from my church has just put their hand up. <laughs> I mean, as pastors, right, many of us were glad for the other church in this city, but how many of us spend more than th three seconds thinking about anybody else's church? No, we don't. We've got enough worries with our own mob, haven't we? We've got enough troubles trying to keep our own ships afloat. But Paul in this text wants to enlarge the church's vision for the church. And in doing so, he wants them to deepen their love and appreciation for God and what he's doing. Now I wonder if somebody stopped us in the street and asked us to talk about the wonder and greatness of God. I wonder if you even got a topic like, why don't you come and share with us about the wonder and greatness of God. I wonder where we'd start. Most of us would probably go with creation if we're talking about you. Point to a hill, point to a mountain, point to the, the sky, point to anything. Maybe some of us would talk about the massive array of, you know, the animal kingdom. Or if you're, you know, weird into plants and stuff. You might point to a variety of designs in the world. There are a million things we might point to as evidence of the greatness of the God that we worship. But not Paul. He doesn't point to any of those things. He points to the church. 
His argument is that God shows off his eternal wisdom and majesty in no better place than the church. And you've got to think, really, Paul? I mean, just look around in this room. You ever seen such a group of losers? Look at us. If I could have a spiritual gauge, I wonder how much sin and self-righteousness is just contained in this building alone right now. It could be a lot. What if we could tag how many problems you brought with you into this room? Fears, worries, woes, doubts, anger, sin, judgmentalism, bitterness. How much of that do you think is in this room? I mean, we are capable, obviously, of, of, of love. We're capable of compassion. It's not all bad. People scrub up well, don't they? Even leaders, we scrub up really well. We come to a cheeky conference like this. And we'll go to the concert tonight and we'll sing songs. We'll get all emotional. Might even lift our hands in the air if you really like, love Jesus. You'll listen to the message. We'll um, we'll ah. We'll put on a half-decent show for the day. And yet if we just scratch a tiny bit below the surface of our lives, it doesn't take long for the grime of sin to show up, does it? I wonder what would happen if I asked each person here today, each believer, to come up on the stage right now and share with me some of the struggles and traumas you faced this year. There'd be a lot, wouldn't there? I wonder what would happen if I just asked the pastors, just called every pastor up, come and share with us about some of the struggles you've had in your church this, this year. year. Come, come and share, share with us about, about some, some of the people, people who've left, left your, your church, church, slated you on social media, tried to destroy your character. Come and share with us the people you've seen baptized. Maybe you've married them and they've walked away from the faith. Back to their sin. Back to the, the mess, mess of, of their lives. Come and share with us about the arguments in members' meetings. The scandal the hurt and the pain you've suffered in your little congregation. Man, the church, our churches, aren't they? They're a mess, aren't they? They're beautiful on the one hand, but they're a mess on the other. And as pastors particularly, we're trying to marshal these things all of the time and keep our hearts pure and keep in love with Jesus and love our people. And yet it is through this, through this, the church, in all its mess and glory, it is through this that God wants to show the world just how fantastically wise he is. I mean, I wouldn't pick the church. I wouldn't pick my church. But what exactly is this wisdom? that Paul is talking about here. What does he mean here? Well, he, he mentions it in, in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7. He says, We impart a secret and... Uh, sorry. Uh, we impart a secret and a hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. glory sorry. 1 Corinthians 1, 23, he says, he connects wisdom to the gospel. He says, We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews 
folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So this wisdom God is revealing through the church is intrinsically connected to the gospel. You can't separate it. And notice what does Paul say? He says it's a manifold wisdom. Did you notice that word? Because that's a weird word. It's an old-fashioned word. That word was used by rich dudes back in the day to talk about all the little intricate patterns on their clothing. It means multi-layered. It means rich, colorful. And back then, as Paul's talking to the Ephesians, his wisdom was seen in how Jews and Gentiles, previously enemies, had come together under the Lord. But that, that wisdom wasn't just being made uh, known then, Paul says, it's also being made known now. People of all stripes and colors, people of all classes, people of all backgrounds, imperfect, sinning, struggling, battling to understand one another sometimes, but coming together to unite and worship God under King Jesus. Every church present here, every member or pastor or representative of every local church present here needs to understand each of our churches, regardless of size, are a beautiful jewel in the crown of King Jesus. So whatever we think about our churches, whatever struggles we have with our local churches, every single church belongs to Jesus Christ without exception, is precious to his name, and is central to his plan and purpose to show off his manifold wisdom to the world. People come and go, don't they? Members come and go, pastors come and go, church buildings come and go, nations come and go, but the church of Jesus Christ will stand forever. Amen? The wisdom of God will shout throughout the ages and it will echo into eternity through the local church. I mean, that, that blows my little noggin in, right? Do you think that's amazing? Or is that just me getting excited for no reason? But here's the point. If this is true, and I believe it is, if it's true, then every single time we attack that for which Christ died, we not only attack the Lord, but more than that, what we're really saying to the Lord is, you're not wise. You say you are, but you're not. Any attack on the church is an attack on the very character of Almighty God. It's saying to him, I would have done it like this if it was me, because I'm wiser than you, obviously. That somehow we could do it better. Or another way to look at it is like this. I, 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 we plant churches, as many of you know. Every time your congregation or mine plant a new church or revitalize an existing one, we are in reality adding to God's wisdom in the world. How about that on your little church planters, whatever action plans you write? Every single time we do that, we are adding to God's wisdom in the world. Because the church is fundamentally important because above all other things, it stands as a testimony to the wisdom of Almighty God in ages past, in this age, and while he allows life to continue now. So people can say and do 
and believe what they like about our churches, and they do, don't they? But to God, they are a sign of his infinite, marvelous, eternal wisdom, despite the fact that they're made up of all sorts of weird and wonderful people. But but verse 10 tells us something even more amazing than that, doesn't it? It tells us to whom God is showing his eternal wisdom. You see that? The rulers and authorities in heavenly places, in the heavenly realms. Who are these people? Well, again, in Ephesians, Ephesians 6, 11, Paul goes on to talk about them when he says, look, put on the whole armor of God's that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So here, they are supernatural beings, it seems, on the side of the devil. Paul already mentioned in chapter 1, verse 3, and he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. He uses the phrase about Jesus in Ephesians 1 verse 20, when we're told that in Christ we are raised to heavenly places. So these rulers and authorities that Paul is talking about in chapter 3 seem to be indicating that the audience are the fallen hosts of hell and the angelic hosts of heaven. Why has God done all these things that he has done? Why has God planned the world the way he has planned it? Why did he make the angels? Why has he made us? Why did he bring the church into existence? Why did he bring Jesus Christ to die for sinners? Why do we exist for one reason and for one reason only? We are to worship the Lord and glorify him forever and to show forth his manifold wisdom to the watching uh, world on earth and to those in the heavenly realms. That is the eternal purpose of our churches. We are all instruments in the grand orchestra of God's manifold wisdom. See, churches aren't just places where people hear about Jesus, get saved, and then, you know, go on and live a better life. The church is a place designed for people, for our communities, and further afield to show off and say to that community, look how wise God is. Why? So that the hosts in the heavenly realms are looking on, praising the name of Almighty God and rejoicing in his multi-layered wisdom. Good angels, bad angels, all the angels. This is what he wants the angelic host to see. You know, when Jesus went to the cross to die for the sins of his people, One part of heaven sang out in joy and glory that the sinless Son of God had completed his earthly mission. By dying that savage, brutal death, he made a way for repentant sinners to have peace with God. But on the other side, the fallen angels, the demonic hordes, cried out in pain and frustration. By dying on the cross by rising again, by ascending into heaven, by sitting at the right hand of the Father, they were shown to be completely and utterly defeated. Satan's plans in shreds. 
every plan to entrap the souls of sinless, of sinless uh, humanity, of sinful humanity, sorry, lay in shreds. And all of, these, all of this host, the victors and the vanquished, had a ringside seat and still do to the glory and wisdom of God through the local church. Now, I'm going to age myself here, and John Piper is not going to have a clue, or anyone American is not going to have a clue. But let me give you an illustration. When I was a lad, I used to like a bit of bully. So three of you get that. <laughs> so Bullseye was the game show back in the 80s. But, and, I mean, it was, it's basically a program about darts, right? You have to throw darts and you won prizes. You won like a trouser press. <laughs> that was a good one. Soda stream. Remember the soda streams? Old school, right? And, uh, and big prizes. And you could win, I mean, you could win like up to 50 pounds in one pound coins. It was big stuff. But I, didn't really, I wasn't really bothered, you know, you threw darts for prizes. And at the end of the day, there was a quiz as well, you had to answer questions. And at the end, there was three, three couples started. At the end, the, the couple who got the most money and score went through to the final. And in the final, you had six darts to throw at the dart board, and you had to score 101 or more to win the big prize. Right? And the big prize is always a speedboat. Right? Guy lived 300 miles from the sea, but it was always a speedboat. <laughs> But that even, even the best bit, the best bit for me, my favorite bit is when they lost. It was beautiful. So, they, so, they, so to get, you go for the star prize, you gamble your 50 pound in one pound coins, and you, you gamble your, you know, your trouser press and your soda stream. And if you lose, you lose all your prizes, but if you win, you keep your prize and you get the big prize. I loved it when they lost, because what they would do is, they would go, oh, unlucky. And then they'd open the, 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 the screen and they'd wheel out the prize. And he would say, look at what you could have won. <laughs> oh, beautifully cruel, right? Inches from that speedboat they'd always dreamed about. So close to the prize they could touch it. Listen, for those of us who are secure in Jesus Christ, the church is wheeled out before Satan and his mob. And where the star cries, look at what you could have won, but you can't touch it. He cannot harm us. He cannot touch us. That's why we read, the angels in heaven rejoice when one sinner is saved. Because of the sinner? No. Because God's manifold wisdom is once again on full, glorious display. The angels witness everything the church does. Everything we see is messy, imperfect, rubbish, boring, annoying, frustrating, and irrelevant. They see as his wisdom. The church is not just a light on a hill to the watching world, but it's God's megaphone to the spiritual realms. It shouts out loud and clear, this is who I am, this is what I am about. Think of it this way. The universe is the classroom, God is the teacher, the angels are the students, the church is the illustration, and the lesson is wisdom. You think about that. This great show of wisdom has been going on in the background while people go on about their earthly lives. We've no clue. We've no clue about the reality of the spiritual war waging on 
all around us. We're so caught up in the cares of our daily lives. We're so caught up in the cares of our local congregations. Very, very seldom do we just lift up and look up and see there's something more, something bigger that God has in store. So my point is this, as I end, the local church is still important for our worlds. Whether you come from money, whether you come for the schemes, it's God's reminder to the, de- 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 sorry, the demonic world of their powerlessness in the face of the saving work of Jesus. And God is calling people to himself here in Scotland and all over the world. He's calling all sorts of weird and wacky people. And the glory of this, the glory of the local church, the glory of the church universal is simply this. It's growing. It will never die despite every human attempt to destroy it, right? It still works. It's still alive. You know, if the church of Christ relied on the wisdom of men and women, we'd have gone bankrupt a long time ago. But thanks to Christ, it doesn't rely on us. More churches loving Jesus means more worship and more glory for our great and wonderful God. Amen? May God help us to love Christ more and to appreciate the importance of the church in our lives. God bless you. Amen.